The key to a successful business isn't just plans, strategies, and profit margins. It isn't just mission, vision, your big dreams for the future, or how you communicate to your ideal clients. It's not just your product suite, your pricing, your sales, or being the person who takes decisive action. It isn't even just nervous system regulation, expanding emotional capacity, and enhancing your communication skills. And it's definitely not just faith, manifestation, vibes, intuition, and magic. The key to a successful business is bringing all of these components together and knowing which one you need when. Nature thrives when all of the elements are in balance. So do you your business. This is the Elemental Entrepreneurship Podcast, where we discuss the earth, air, fire, water, and spirit elements of building a thriving, successful, creative business. Welcome to the show. Hello, beautiful friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Elemental Entrepreneurship Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I'm so happy, as always, that you're here, that you're listening. I appreciate your time and your interest and your energy and your thoughts and you sharing some space in your life and your ear holes and your brain with me. So thank you for being here. Today's conversation is really special and really important, and I hope that you get a lot out of it. I encourage you to listen to it more than once and to return to it as you need to. Um, And I hope that your um, experience of this uh, Aquarius full supermoon this past week has been um, revelatory <laughs> and hopefully gentle. Um, I don't have a lot of big announcements this week. I will say that coming up pretty soon, I am going to have uh, two one-on-one coaching spots opening up. I have some clients who are matriculating. So if you have been interested in potentially working together uh, on life or business coaching, I would love to work with you. You can reach out uh, on Instagram at Intuitive Edge Coaching. You can shoot me an email, intuitiveedgecoaching at gmail.com. I'll also put a link just straight to book a discovery call with me in the show notes. Uh, if you'd like to talk. I would love to hear about what's going on for you, what you're working on, and how I might be able to help support you in getting to the next level of whatever it is that your little heart desires. Um, It's Friday. I don't usually work on Fridays, so I'm going to wrap this intro up, get this podcast out to you, and take my little self to the beach. That's what I'm doing. That's what I tend to do on Fridays. So I hope wherever you are that your Friday is sweet and joyful. And without further ado, let's get into the show. Hello, beautiful friends. We are back with another episode of the Elemental Entrepreneurship Podcast, and I'm very excited about today's guest, Eli Lolliet, PhD, okay, Dr. Eli, is the gender doula, offering full spectrum support to folks who are transitioning, questioning, or exploring their gender. Due to the unique nature of every gender journey, Eli pulls from his many experiences, a working class background in retail, 10 years of academic research on trans healthcare in the U.S., 
five years of tarot reading for others, and much more to support clients holistically. He also uses his broad training to create workshops, classes, and resources to help gender expansive folks thrive. He lives in Los Angeles with his partner, three cats, a dog, and four snakes, an entire menagerie. Eli, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm very excited as well. So let's just kind of dive in. I know that we had a talk first about kind of things that we wanted to talk about on this show. And I think I want to just start with talking about um, business-wise, you wrote to me that business-wise, you're always thinking about relationships, resource sharing, anti-capitalism, and the uneasiness of being a business person who wants security while also being an anti-capitalist who wants to redistribute wealth. And I think that that's a really great kind of starting point for exploration because I think everyone who listens to this show has that experience and feels a similar way. It's all this little beautiful world of artists and creatives and healers and people who went into business, A, I think because most of us are unemployable, like literally just having a job is painful. <laughs> and also because we want to do the work that genuinely lights us up. We want to help people, but then everything about what we've learned about selling feels exploitative and harmful and how we all navigate that. So I think that that's a great place for us to start. Yeah, definitely. I really um, identify with the unemployable, you know, <laughs> label. I think there was a point where I was, I think it was when I was in grad school and I was realizing like, I don't think I can ever work for another person. You know, like at this point, at this point in my life, I don't think I can do that again. And I think that that still holds true. It it doesn't feel like the right move for me. And also, as you said, that sort of leaves you open to making all of these choices around how you want to navigate the world as a person who's self-employed, who's freelancing, or, you know, whatever the path is that people take. I think that it means that you are automatically... Um, committing yourself to a much deeper level of um, just, I'm oh, sorry, my brain is blinking on this. Word. <laughs> accountability is what I was going for. You're committing yourself to a much deeper level of accountability. And the sort of responsibility of that is that you then have to think about things like how you want to manage money, how you want to manage marketing, how you want to approach these different areas and ways that align with your values rather than in the ways that, you know, so-and-so business guy, whoever told you to. And I think that there's also the thing of like, just because I don't want to get a job doesn't mean I actually want to learn business. And I think yeah. um, there's... um like a like choose your suck like okay you think it sucks to get to have a job and to work for other people and it doesn't work for you and then there's people for whom like you know maybe they have chronic pain or they have other situations where holding a traditional job literally doesn't work for them and they might have a craft that they want to share or a skill that they want to share but that doesn't mean they actually want to learn anything about business and sometimes what i find is it creates this um 
a feeling of kind of resistance and resentfulness around having to learn business and wanting to kind of be saved from it. Like I've heard so many artists be like, I just want a manager. Like, I just want someone to come in and manage this all for me and take this off my plate and being like, that's not even what a manager is. Like that's not, and even if they did, it leaves you so open to potentially being exploited or having your business run in a way that you don't like because you've given all of the power in your business away to someone else. You don't want that either. So there's this kind of grappling a lot of people have to do with like, okay, I'm, I am going to have to learn this at some point if I want to not get a job and not have someone, except that no one's going to come do it for me. There are some things I'm going to have to learn that right now, my belief about them is that they suck and I'm not interested in it and I don't want to do that. Yeah, it's really challenging. I mean, I'm a person who has a couple of different chronic illnesses and I do notice that a lot of the entrepreneurs that I know and am, you know, uh, in community with are also people with chronic illnesses or people with disabilities, a lot of trans people and queer people who really either are unemployable because it doesn't vibe with them on a personal level or literally just cannot function under capitalism, right? Because of all these challenges. And I think a lot about this topic because I think that there are so many people in this world who are good at managing things and are good at things like marketing, which to me is so hard, right? And I think that it would be so beautiful if we could create a cooperative structure where the people who are creatives or artists or, you know, have micro businesses and et cetera, can do the things that they're good at and can sort of like spread the burden of that sort of like manager or like more structured roles across people who, for whom that's not a burden. I think it would be really wonderful if we could create that structure. I'm not there yet. Um, I don't know of anything that's currently functioning that way, but it's something that I consistently sort of long for and would love to at some point be a part of. That's a really, really cool idea. And I don't want to talk about it anymore on the podcast because I want to talk to you about it separately <laughs> because I think we just started a business. Uh, it's going to be called the CEO Collective. Hashtag, trademark, copyright, no one steal it. <laughs> We're doing this because that's brilliant. And I think that, that it brings these really interesting ideas around um, kind of like worker-owned cooperative type structures, but not into a single business, into multiple businesses. That is incredibly interesting. And I think it also is so aligned for me with what I believe about business, which is essentially, if you have a gift, a skill or a talent, then first of all, like all of us have gifts and skills and talents. And we're all here to shift culture, right? We're all here to move the planet forward, to move humanity forward, to share our gifts, skills and talents for the benefit of all. And that doesn't stop at the way we do business, right? The idea that we're going to take this world-changing work that we have and put it into a 19th century business model, like, isn't, it doesn't make sense, right? Like, you are trying to put your spaceship into a horse-drawn buggy. Like, it just doesn't, the vehicle is wrong. 
if we're going to build businesses, we can also reimagine what business gets to look like, and that's part of the work. But only if we get just as excited about the idea of saying like, none of the old rules have to apply and we can still make money. It's not an either or. And this is a beautiful segue into just talking about binary thinking. Um, but the the one of the binary thinking things that I think we get trapped in is either I can do radical life-changing work or I can make money. Um, and that there is no pathway to have a financially viable business without sacrificing my values or doing things I hate. And I do not believe that's true. And I know for sure it's not true because I know a lot of people who are completely reimagining ways that business can be done and can take care of themselves with their business. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. I think about this a lot as a person. So my background is working class, low income, sometimes poverty, um, you know, I've never had money. My family doesn't have money. And so uh, I have a lot of trauma around finances. And it's something that I've been grappling with a lot as a business owner for the last couple of years. Part of the reason I went to grad school and wanted to become an academic was because my perception was that that would allow me to have stability. And over the past few years as a business owner, one of the things that I've been realizing is that Often when I'm saying I want to make money, what I'm actually saying is I want stability and safety, right? And so I think about this a lot because I think about the idea of enoughness and um, satisfaction and how oftentimes in entrepreneurial spaces or business spaces or, or many just in our whole culture of spaces and capitalism, the idea of enoughness is never sort of discussed or given much value. And I think that, you know, when we're looking at making money in our businesses, one of the things that we can look at is like the goal isn't just make money, right? If you If the goal is just endlessly make money, then you're in the throes of like late stage capitalism, right? But there can definitely be a goal of like, I want to be stable. I want to be comfortable. I want to be, I want to feel safety. I want to be able to support others. I want to be able to give to things I care about, right? And I think that when you reorient your values to like, what would that look like? What amount do I need to make that happen? Or can part of that be done through cooperative or through trades or through other forms of sort of communal resource sharing, then you start to create a value system from where you can grow a business that doesn't just immediately get on the off-ramp to like hyper-capitalistic, grow, 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 you know, no amount is ever enough type thinking. I agree with that so much. And um, if you're listening to this and you are not in the Elemental Entrepreneurship Coven, you've never worked with me, you should. Um, but we really always start, first of all, from figuring out what that number is, because I have a similar background. And I think for a lot of us who just have money stuff, I'm going to use broadly, um, avoidance, overwhelm, discomfort, um, a difficulty really looking at our budget and also figuring out in a really sober way, just like what does what what would my comfortable life cost? Like, what is that number? And I have sat and found that number with 
hundreds of people at this point, and I don't think I've ever had one where the person didn't cry or apologize or tell me they could probably make the number be less. There's such a discomfort around, I mean, first of all, just like life costs money, and that's not something we're doing wrong. Like, we didn't set this game up this way, (laughs) but like life costs money, and especially if you are living in a coastal city, it probably costs kind of a lot, and like it, it's rare for that number to be less than around $5,000 a month for anyone just as a single person. Um, and that's not because we are greedy or uh, asking for too much or any of this. So it's like just getting comfortable, first of all, with like finding that number, sitting with that number and being like, okay, this is what my life costs. And then doing the same thing for our business. This is what my business costs. But also then really unpacking what we learned about success and what success metrics are and figuring out what success means to you as an individual. Like I had to sit down and go, okay, like in in my industry, there are a lot of images of what success looks like. Are Are those things I want? Do I actually want to have a multi seven figure business? Do I actually want to um, buy $20,000 purses? Do, do I actually want to um, be on speaking tours? Do like, what do I actually want? What is the, the highest level of success, quote unquote success, or what are like kind of the biggest achievements possible in my industry? And then like, do I want that? Is that my goal? Or if not, what do I want rather than it being a foregone conclusion that everyone's vision of success looks exactly the same and putting yourself on some kind of like treadmill (laughs) toward it that isn't isn't really your goals and like those the steps of deep personal work and introspection around for us the earth things the very practical like grounded financial things and then also the air things what what is my vision of success what do i want for my life those steps cannot be skipped to build a you have to have a blueprint for what you're building and that's not um it's not something we can avoid because if you try to skip that part it's really easy to end up just like getting thrown into the machine and being like, oh, I built something that feels actually like a trap. Now I've built this business I don't like that I don't want to run. Right. Like I built a prison for myself. Great. Yeah. Um, the intention. Yeah. I think about that a lot too. I think I had this experience when I was in undergrad um, where I was pushing really, really hard to gain achievements. And I think it was because I was always good at academics. That was just like a skill set that I had. I, you know, come from a line of teachers, you know, so people who are good at the skills of academics. And um, as I was moving through school, you know, I was like, okay, like I'm going to go really hard. I'm going to get this really incredible GPA. I'm going to earn all these honors. I'm going to earn, you know, or like win these incredible scholarships. And I did all of that. And I noticed at a point, that I always felt just as bad after I accomplished those things as I did before. It was like putting a drop of water into a black hole. And it was just like, this is never going to fill this black hole. And that was a huge turning point for me. And it began a journey that I believe is still ongoing 
of working with these ideas of like, what is it that I actually want? And also like learning how to celebrate the steps along the way. One thing that I talk to clients a lot about um, and probably anybody who will listen to me <laughs> about is this idea uh, that I call like the four of wands sort of like way of working with progress, um, which is that you set aside time to really celebrate everything that you've done, even things that are quite that like are quote unquote small or that feel small, right? like setting every three months or every six months, I'm going to stop and I'm going to really take stock of what have I done? What's different about me now than three months ago or six months ago or a week ago, whatever it is. Right. And then giving yourself a chance to really celebrate that and to really feel it. Um, and the purpose of that is that if you're always just striving for the next thing, next thing, next thing, you just feel like you're treading water. You never feel like you're getting anywhere, even if you do suddenly have the resume that you would have killed for five years ago, right? Um, if you don't take the time to notice and to celebrate each individual step, then you just feel like you're treading water. And that's true in business. It's true in personal stuff. It's true in healing. It's true in gender journeys. It's true across the board. And I think part of it is because we live in this like extremely capitalistic culture where we're sort of just primed to always be like seeking these external validations. And that creates this like never satisfied energy in us. And so this is my antidote is taking the time to be like, you know what? Six months ago, that would have wrecked my week. And today I had three bad days, you know, because of this thing happening. Or, you know, six months ago, it would have been like impossible for me to imagine doing this thing. And then I just did it, right? Giving yourself that that celebration. Our work is so similar that it's blowing my mind. And it also, I love it when I have conversations where I'm like, I know that we're all on the right track if people are independently coming to these things and integrating them to their work on their own. And like, like we haven't ever talked before and like celebration, first of all, is a cornerstone of my work, really similar thing. I created a journaling format um, called GACA that I give to all of my clients in every program that I do. And it's one of the most common things that I find that is for most people giving themselves credit for things they've done well and taking a moment to appreciate what has happened is the hardest practice uh, we do like weekly celebrations and like practicing saying here's what happened this week that was good and then also allowing yourself to be witnessed for sharing here are the things that are good is so uncomfortable for most of us and then recognizing that you know yes it's capitalism it's also diet culture, right? This constant moving of the benchmark that like, no matter what you accomplish, you never actually allow yourself to clock it does create this eternal feeling of deficit. And that the, the feeling that you haven't done anything, that you've never accomplished anything, that nothing you do is adding up, that things aren't mattering. And the cognitive dissonance of not being able to fully, like you can intellectually understand it, but not getting the experience that like, it's not that you've never achieved anything. It's that you've never let yourself feel the achievement and that it will not change no matter what you achieve. What will it, like the only thing that can change it is you allowing yourself to experience the achievement to be like, I completed something. 
even in tasks during the day. Like if you complete a task, close your laptop, have a two minute dance party, get some water, have a snack, <laughs> you know, like let yourself close something and take a moment to be like, hey, good job self. And that we're looking for that, hey, good job head pat from the world before we'll give it to ourselves. And it does end up creating a really unpleasant experience of uh, Des Davis, one of my clients, she calls it striving, never arriving. And constant striving is exhausting and depleting. Like we got to arrive sometimes, at least once a day, like give yourself a little high five at least one time a day. Yeah. I fully could have cussed someone out and I didn't high five. (laughs) Exactly. It was really kind and patient to the automated phone tree on this customer service thing. And I didn't scream representative. High five. <laughs> good, good, good for us. Um, so both of us have been in this, the spiritual world, the wellness, healing, tarot, hippie world, the woo world, and have talked a little bit about ways that capitalism, white supremacy, ableism, gender binary, show up in these spaces in a way that is damaging to their ultimate goals. You want to talk about that a little? Yeah, I mean, there's just endless, (laughs) endless topics to talk about that are sort of under that umbrella. I think like, well, for me, um, I was raised in a conservative Christian family And I was pretty young when I decided that that whole way of being didn't make sense to me. Um, But I sort of like, you know, went back and forth between um, I don't really believe in any of this and like, you know, hardcore atheism, I guess, for like several years, quite a few years, actually. And it wasn't until I um, was in my first year of grad school, I think, and my chronic illnesses were really becoming overwhelming that I found my way to my own spirituality, um, which very much started with me being like, I feel that queerness and transness are spiritual and that's my spirituality. Right. And then, but I was also looking for like other tools and other methods and other ways of delving in. And I realized very quickly that almost everything that you do, especially if you're a white person, almost everything that you look at in the alternative spiritual world, um, it just has these very like quick, slippery little off ramps into cultural appropriation or white supremacist culture or just all these like really gnarly spaces that are very antithetical to my values and to how I move through the world. And so it's actually been extremely challenging. Um, as I've created my spiritual practice to sort of uh, develop a a high level of discernment around that. And I see that coming through from a lot of the folks that I talk to and that I work with and, and that I meet in community spaces. I mean, it's like, there's so many people who have really good intentions, but it's, that's not enough, right? Like, cause it's too easy to get pulled in to these really oppressive and violent structures. Absolutely. What are some of the ways that you see this showing up 
as you kind of navigate like some of the online space, like crossing this over into marketing, even just being on Instagram and seeing the offers that people are sharing, what are some things that you notice that kind of ring some bells for you? Mm. I mean, I think that um, when I see white people with spiritual offerings um, and they don't have any sort of like recognition of racism, you know, in their in their work, that to me is a huge red flag. And the thing is, um, this is a tricky area because I think a lot of white, so I'm white just because I know the people can't see me who are watching this. I'm a white person. And um, I think that it it's very tempting when you're a white person to be like, okay, what's the script? What do I have to say to be saying the right thing, right? Or like, what are the proper words or um, how do I prove to people that I'm safe, right? I think that's a very tempting sort of set of concerns. And also it completely distracts from the actual situation, right? Because you're never going to say all the right things. You're never going to be a person who causes no harm. That doesn't exist, right? And the more that you're focused on saying the right things and like doing everything right and being a quote unquote good person, the less you are focusing on supporting your own accountability. And so I think that it's very challenging because when you're doing something like marketing a course on Instagram, you have to pay attention to, you want your marketing to be good. You want people to know what you're offering. You want it to be clear. And also you want to make sure that people feel, you know, as comfortable as possible with you. And also you have to support yourself in this high level of accountability. And all of that is complicated. And I don't have much judgment for people who aren't like hitting every single mark with every single post because I know I'm not either. Right. But I think that when you start to dig into someone's work, there should be, you know, um, acknowledgement and awareness and structures of accountability that that person has created for themselves um, around things like cultural appropriation or around things like white supremacist culture. Like, how are you working against those structures that are so profoundly prevalent in this culture and in our lives and in, even in the spiritual space? Right. Basically, it's complicated. <laughs> it's complicated. And I think that one of the things that you just touched on that's really interesting is like the desire to be seen as right and to be seen as a good person at all times is perpetuating white supremacy. It is a white supremacist value system. And the extreme fear that if you ever make a mistake or get it wrong, that you will be punished and exiled is rooted in growing up in a carceral system, right? It is another part of white supremacy. Good guys are rewarded and bad guys are sent away. And that's what it is. And this deep fear that is inside all of us who grew up in the United States that like, there's good guys and bad guys, right? There's It's one or the other. You are a good person or a bad person um, at the core of who you are, right? Like it's not just it's not just that you're a person who's learning publicly. It's not just that you're a human being who's taking in, first of all, tons and tons of information and navigating a much larger social group than you're, we were ever designed to. <laughs> we're all trying to figure out how to be in global community at all times at this incredibly rapid pace. It's very jangling for our nervous systems. And 
The fear of being quote unquote canceled is a replication of a carceral system. I have to be 100% correct and perceived as good at all times, or I will be punished, destroyed, sent away. My business will be dismantled. All of my work will be for naught. I will be hurt in a way that I can't recover from. And then that fear of that outcome causes the anxious uh, desire to like, okay, so just what do I say? Just give me the script. Just tell me how to do it right. Just tell me how to avoid punishment, right? Like the making all of our decisions to avoid punishment (laughs) brand of marketing is is really difficult and it's difficult to be in community with it's difficult to be around it's difficult to unpack and it's not wrong right like it's it's not wrong to be afraid that if you have a post go viral in the wrong way it can have huge financial and therefore for your very life and livelihood consequences that is also a true thing so we're navigating all of this like in real time on the internet in front of each other. And it's fucking scary. Yeah, I've really felt a lot of like such strong and helpful guidance on this um, from folks like Adrian Marie Brown, uh, Miriam Kaba, um, Mia Mingus. Um, there's just folks out there who are doing incredible work I know Adrian Marie Brown and Autumn Brown talk about um, being in principled struggle and the difference between that and sort of, you know, what we might name as cancel culture or this sort of carceral punitive way of approaching people who've caused harm, which is at some point going to be everybody, right? Um, I think that there's just so much good teaching here. And I think that one thing that I I would say is really, really vital for white folks who are in the spiritual space um, and just in general, honestly, is to really focus on getting as much of your teaching as possible from uh, Black, Indigenous, and other people of color who are highly skilled teachers. And by getting your teaching from them, I mean from books, from materials that are for sale, you know, from formal avenues, because I, I'm not encouraging anyone to try to extract teaching or emotional labor from individual folks. Um, but for folks who have put stuff out there, like Adrian Mary Brown has multiple books. Mia Mingus has an incredible blog, um, as well as has done a lot of guest authoring. You know, um, these people have workbooks, they have courses, they have classes, they have incredible repositories of wisdom that you can avail yourself of. And I think that's really vital because I think that white folks have a lot of unlearning to do. We have a lot of learning to do. We have a lot of blind spots. That's not a great word to use. Sorry, that's ableist. We have a lot of areas where we don't see accurately um, and where it takes a lot of outside support to try to support ourselves in seeing more accurately in learning how to be accountable and learning how to recognize the ways that we harm others and how to deal with that harm. And so I think that we gain a lot from availing ourselves of that knowledge, which is so widely available, rather than trying to look to each other for um, that kind of high level teaching. I think it's great to look to each other for support and and I think that there can be a lot of 
really beautiful ways to do that. But I think that ultimately we are not the authorities in this space. Yeah. Another area that this shows up. First, I want to say, I agree with all of that. Seconded, thirded. Yes. And another area, I think that this type of, um, the same type of fear shows up is, um, in, people doing spiritual work around relationships who use language around divine feminine and divine masculine and also assigned female at birth women identified folks cis women who are creating women's spirituality containers or even just like you know i see a lot of people who do like business coaching where they're like i help women do blah 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 and it's always been interesting to me like i um, have never, I've always been very clear that I don't only work with women identified people. Um, but there's, there's an impulse, I think, for a lot of people to only offer their work to people who have the same, hold the same identities as them. And I think some of it is because they are literally just afraid that they don't have the capability or capacity to hold space for others. And so it's like, on one hand, I think it's responsible to to say what your scope of work is and who you know you can help and who you can't. On the other hand, I think some of it is just being afraid to say the wrong thing and not having people in your life you can ask some simple questions to around, like, how could I make my spaces more welcoming, more inclusive, more safe? And or how could I word my offerings in a way that makes clear that, for instance, when I say women, I am including trans women. Um, And so I was wondering if you would be down to be folks' trans friend on the show who can offer some some language around that and some, some thoughts around that for people who are, as we said earlier, very well-intentioned, very kind, very gifted people who want to do well and want to help people and might be feeling unclear on how to word some of these things in a way that recognizes evolving gender language that we're all learning together. Yeah, I mean, one thing I would say is that if you are not like able to competently support people, I don't think that you should pretend that you are, right? So like, and what I mean by that is not as harsh as maybe that sounds, but it's like, listen, if I don't know the right words to use, quote unquote, right words, if I'm not sure of the language, if I feel uncomfortable, then my question would be, is there someone else who offers what you offer who you could refer folks to, right? So that would be the first thing I would do is recognize like, okay, I can see that, like, let's say I'm a white cis woman and I'm offering these services and I want to be inclusive, but I know that I don't have the learning. So can I find people with other identities who I can list on my website as like alternative providers, right? Or if someone emailed me who I could say, hey, like, 
Um, just so that you're aware, like, these are my identities and, like, you may be interested in working with this other person, right? Like, I think you have to be honest with yourself and with others about your capacities and about your knowledge and where you stand. So that's one thing. I think the second thing is if you actually do want to be able to support people, like, if that's something that matters to you because it matters to you and not just because you're trying to be, a, like, a quote-unquote good person, right, you will need to put a lot more effort effort in. And I think that that's one thing that people are shying away from is that we're all exhausted, we're all overworked, and people feel like very intimidated by the idea of learning new ways of approaching things or, or new languaging options around different, you know, offerings. And like, yes, that is work, you know, and I think it's good to acknowledge that. And also, if it's if that's your values, then again, there are lots of people who are offering those types of trainings. For me, I would say if you are a person who wants to work with women and you want to make clear that that being open to uh, to all women and not just like cis women, right? I think you could just very simply say open to all like women identifying folks, you know, and just leave it at that. Um, if you want to, it, it gets a little bit trickier when some folks are trying to say, I don't want to work with cis men and they don't quite know how to language around that. And I, you know, a, that's a hard thing to language around. You know, I think you could probably, if you wanted to, you could just say, I don't want to work with cis men. You're just everyone right? but cis men. Like, <laughs> right. You could say that. <laughs> like, I'm open to working with all folks except for cis men. You may not want to put that on your website, but if that's the fact, then it's going to be a lot easier than trying to name all the groups that aren't cis men, because that's a lot of people with a lot of different words, you know? <laughs> Um, furthermore, the language will continue to shift and evolve. You know, there's constantly words. Um, there are words that were popular 80 years ago that people are reclaiming now that had for 20 years been considered offensive, right? There are new words that people are creating that are going viral and people are identifying with me like, yes, 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 that's me. Right. So there's no, again, like it kind of comes down to like, there is no like saying all the right things all the time. You know, um, nobody's going to be able to do that. That's impossible, right? So the goal then is to, A, be willing to be accountable for the things that you do say. If something you says causes harm or if you say something in a way that is, uh, you know, upsetting or bothersome or exclusionary, being willing to hear people when they say this is a problem and adjust it right? That's part of it. Another part of it is doing your best to learn, right? Like, listen to people, because people from every marginalized group are always sharing information. Like, there are so many trans people out there who are just desperately creating content that, like, very few people are paying attention to, right? Like, there's always people who are putting this out there and who are willing to teach and willing to show you and willing to talk things through with you. It's just a matter of putting in the effort to find those people because, frankly, the algorithms do not privilege those folks. Absolutely. And I think this circles back to something we already touched on about really sitting down and getting clear with yourself about your values in your work and then making the commitment to learn things. This is an ongoing, entrepreneurship is a commitment to ongoing learning about business. Um, marketing is a commitment to ongoing learning about marketing, right? Like all of these things are com these commitments to ongoing learning. And because we are more connected 
globally than we have ever been before, the rate of new information, the rate of learning, the rate of change is so much faster than it's ever been before. So I think the the part where you sit down and figure out what's really important to you and where you're going to prioritize your learning time, right? That's also important because we cannot expect ourselves to keep up on top of everything, everything, everything. And, you know, like I decided the second threads came out that I'm not learning it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not getting on threads. I'm not going to do it. I, I can't have another app. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna focus there. I had a similar reaction to TikTok. I was like, I don't think I'm gonna pursue this. Not because I don't see that it could be good for marketing, but because we all have to make some decisions around what are the things I'm gonna prioritize, what are the things that I'm going to say, here are the areas where as new things evolve in this area, I'm committed to staying on top of that. And then there are going to be some other things where you're like, I'm probably not going to evolve with every marketing trend. I'm going to, that's going to be okay. Here are the things I will prioritize, community, evolving language, um, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. Um, Like here are the values in my work. And that has to be where I'm going to devote more of my resources, more of my learning time, more of my focus. And here are some other things that it's probably going to be okay if I'm not on top of every trend in this area. There's just too much to be on top of. I totally agree. And I think that one thing that's really key here is the idea of humility. Um, Because the thing is, like what you were saying, like, okay, I'm going to prioritize, you know, my community, my values. I want to be able to, you know, serve these different groups of people. Great. You are 100% going to mess up, right? And so, like, knowing that that is a fact and knowing that you could just be humble and be like, like, let's say someone comes to me and this has happened and they're like, Hey, um, the way that you said this thing or, uh, this concept that you put forward or the way that you languaged around this thing was actually a problem. And this is why, right. Uh, or this was harmful to me and this is why, right. It's then, incumbent on me not to be like oh my god like i'm but i'm a good person right instead it's like wow like i can see what you're saying you know and i can see how that harmed you and also like i can now do my own research and figure out how to do this better right just being humble and understanding like i'm a person and i'm going to screw things up that's what humans do it's totally normal And I understand the fear that you were discussing earlier around, you know, having your business compromise and all of that. That's real. Um, And also to whatever extent we've agreed to be online and, and participating in social media and stuff, that's one of the risks that we're taking on, right? And so I think that there can be a lot to be said for just being humble being genuine, like have your accountability structures. Um, Mia Mingus talks about pod mapping and having accountability pods. I think that that can be a really good practice, which you can look at at her blog to get more information on. But um, just having your accountability structures, having your humility, understanding that you're going to screw up so that when that moment happens, you don't get flooded and triggered and like, in that huge like oh my god oh my god oh my god energy and you can just like take a deep breath and be like okay i see how the way that i language this does not reflect my values and i want to do better right and come from that place as opposed to the fear-based response 
Yeah, and you got to the place that I was thinking of too with like being flooded and triggered and understanding that that's there's a nervous system component to all of this, right? Like if you have a history of bullying, right? If you grew up in a family where you received uh, extreme physical punishment when you messed up and were wrong, you may have actual trauma triggers connected to someone coming to you and telling you the way that you did something hurt my feelings, right? You made a mistake. And you probably have them in all of your relationships, not just in business. And recognizing that it is our own work to regulate our own nervous system and expand our nervous system capacity for discomfort, for fear. Um, A lot of times when people are talking about fear of visibility, what they're actually talking about is fear of punishment and that they have such a visceral response to being wrong in public um, or potentially being ridiculed. I always say that all of our trauma responses and fears come back to fear of crap, criticism, rejection, abandonment, punishment. (laughs) So it's like, it's one of those, right? I will be left alone. I will be criticized. I will be abandoned. I will be punished. And ultimately to our like lizard brain, I will die. This will happen and I will die. And it's okay that we are carrying these triggers. It's okay that we have wounds. It's okay that we might have outsized nervous system reactions when we experience Um, some of these situations. And it is our obligation, our responsibility as individuals, as people on a healing path, as business owners, to do our nervous system work so that we could have the capacity required to, the way that I frequently just say it is just play a bigger game, right? If, If you only work with people in your local community, you're not playing as visible a game, as big a game as if you have 20,000 followers from all over the world who are interacting and engaging with your work. I'm not saying that that's not potentially profoundly dysregulating. It is. And then it's your job to like, what do I need to do care team wise, right? Like, am I in therapy? Do I have somatic support tools? Do I have a coach who's trauma informed? Do I have people around me who can help me in those moments so that I can both care for myself and resource my body so that I can get back to the conscious level of behavior, right? Like we can't perform frontal lobe actions <laughs> when we're triggered. Like I can't be rational. I can't calm down. I can't have a moment of saying it is aligned with my core values for me to engage in this situation in this way when my body is convinced that I'm going to die. And that's real and it's valid and it's okay. And it is our job as the owner of this business, as the as the creator of this content to make sure we're getting the support that we need to navigate our wounds. And I also think that business is a mirror for our deepest wounds and triggers in the same way that romantic relationships are. Like all of our deepest stuff around belonging and safety and worthiness is going to be triggered in our work all the time. And so whatever it is that we need to do to show up to that work resourced and able to be a good partner is, is our, is part of our job. Absolutely. I mean, it reminds me of this question. 
I, I was actually thinking about earlier today, I'm writing a blog post about it right now. So it's very present in my brain, which is like, what's the point of healing work, especially healing work that you're doing with yourself, right? Because I've heard a lot of critiques of the idea that we uh, have to work on ourselves because folks are like, well, we need to be healing in the context of community. And I think that that's one of those false binaries, right? I think um, in terms of a more fractal approach where you're doing things on your individual level, right? And then those things are echoing out to community and then further to the world. And so recognizing like, why am I working on healing myself? So that when someone comes to me and says, this thing that you did was not aligned, with who you are, with your values or whatever, you have the tools that you were just talking about to regulate yourself. If that means being like, you know, I recognize what you're saying and also I'm going to have to take a step back and regulate my body and then I'll be able to come and respond to this from that place, right? Maybe that's it. Or maybe it's having the therapist that you can go to and be like, I need a gut check here. You know, like, can we talk through this, right? Or even other friends and people who are in the same industry as you, you know, where you can perform that function for each other. There's an endless number of tools you can have. And there's an endless number of ways that you can learn how to work with your nervous system and how to come back into regulation and how to be able to act from that, like, higher self-place, right? Or like capital S self-place, right? And each of those tools is really, really vital to continuously build and hone the larger that your platform is certainly, but also like the further into this very sensitive work that you're going, right? Like if you're in the spiritual realm, if you're a doula of any any type of doula, you know, if you're in these types of, of work where you're holding people's hearts and holding them through these profoundly intimate and sensitive parts of life, you really have to always, always be working on yourself um, because that's what's necessary to maintain the level of energetic boundaries, the level of nervous system regulation that you need to be able to support other people. Absolutely. And to support other people while sharing your, some of your own you know, thoughts, ideas, feelings, create creations that might feel so vulnerable to yeah. share everything about being in business, but especially when the work that you do feels like it's a part of you is incredibly vulnerable to yeah. share and to watch things, you know, that feel like they are a part of you, essentially to cultivate the distance that like once they are a product that they're going to go off and have a life of their own. You're like, you know, like, right. Like I just tossed the beach ball out into the crowd. Like it is now going to be passed around and dissected and spoken about. And people are interacting with the work. They're not necessarily interacting with me. And one of the, uh, the, uh, the blessing and a curse kind of situations of having the internet of having access to social media is we do have for the first time ever such an easy fast like literally free in our pocket way for our beautiful creations and our ideas and our thoughts and our feelings to reach potentially millions of people overnight and those people don't know us and those people have a, a we all have a hard time humanizing the creator of things that comes that come across our phone 
there is a there's a a a challenge for all of us that comes with just consuming this much content all the time, <laughs> like to to hold the fact that like a person made this. Uh, most of the time, a person made it. Who knows? Very shortly, maybe a person didn't make it, and we can interact with it. However, because it was made by a robot, but for most of the time, a person made it, and and it's easy to have something come across your phone that a person made that you say violently disagree with and have a big reaction to it and engage with the idea without realizing that there's a person who made that on the other side who is feeling like you're violently disagreeing with who they are as a human being. We are all, I, I think part of this also is becoming more mindful in our consumption of other people's creations and noticing how we're interacting with other people's work as we are putting our work out there as well. Definitely. And also having really strong energetic boundaries, you know, like um, Sarah Godestiner has an energetic boundaries course that I took last year that's absolutely outrageously wonderful. And um, she's been a really great source of teaching to me on um, on this topic, right? Like being aware of how you're taking in other people's content and what impact that has on you and how to get clear, right? And how to boundary yourself. I think that, you know, as someone who's publicly trans, I'm regularly sort of targeted for an uh, outrageous amount of vitriol. You know, and the first time it happened to me really felt like a vaccine because I was like, okay, great. Now I know what it feels like to have, you know, thousands of people calling me a pedophile. And now I know how to boundary myself. You know, now I know how to protect myself. Now I know how to hold that space for myself. Right. And I think that to whatever extent you choose to be public, it is deeply important to be real with yourself about how much protection you need for that level of exposure and not to just be like, well, it should be fine because so many other people are also at the same level of exposure. Like you don't know them, you don't know their lives and whatever they're doing doesn't matter because what matters is what you need to do to feel like you can live in your body, you know, and to maintain a level of safety and connection with yourself. And I think that that's a conversation that is going to be, you know, ongoing, but it is one that I hear a lot of folks having these days, which I think is a really positive move. Absolutely. This has gone by so fast and I feel like there's a million things that I still want to talk to you about. So before I ask you like my last questions, maybe, you know, we'll just say right now there's a bunch of spiritual entrepreneurs, creative entrepreneurs that may not have ever met you or interacted with your work before listening. Is there anything that you want to share with them? Is there anything you want to say to them? Any tips, advice, best practices, questions for that? Anything you want to like to them? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I would say right now in the spiritual world, as in most parts of our culture, there's a very um, insidious movement toward transphobia, towards attacking trans people. And sometimes this happens in ways that are um, easy to not understand what it is until you're already in it, right? So people can get sort of on these uh, pipelines 
right? Where they start out by talking about something like the divine feminine and they think like, oh, that vibes with me. And then like, before they know it, they're sort of um, just completely surrounded by this anti-trans rhetoric, right? And so I think that um, educating yourself about queerness, about transness and about what it looks like, like what are the dog whistles for people who are trying to recruit people into sort of an anti-trans or a trans hate standpoint, right? Because they're very prolific right now. Um, I would just really, really encourage anyone who's in this world to take the time to reckon with that and also to take the time to support organizations um, that are supporting trans people, especially Black and Indigenous trans people, and that are fighting the legal battles, the hundreds and thousands of legal battles that currently are happening in the United States um, to try to protect trans people and trans lives. I'm so glad you said that. And I want to double click on that just for a second, because I've actually, I've watched this happen. I had it happen with a past client of mine who went on to have another mentor who's a kind of big name in the spiritual space, uh, who does quote unquote, women's healing work. And the second I looked at her page, I was like, mm, maybe just not my cuppa. And then I kept watching and I was like, no, this is transphobic rhetoric. And like there, and it kind of ventured into some anti-vaxxer. It, it, like, it was like, she was a sneeze away from ending up in QAnon kind of territory as far as I could see. And I saw it very clearly and my former client got into some of her containers, started following her, and very shortly afterward was posting things that I messaged her privately. And I was like, hey, this is transphobic. This is a problem. It's not who I know you to be. Let's have a conversation. Like, as your former mentor, as someone who loves you, I'm very concerned about what your relationship with your new mentor is doing in in your work. And she... And this is all always dangerous, y'all, in the spiritual love and light community. It's like, hey, if it's no longer aligned for us to be in relationship, you don't have to support my work anymore, but I'm going to stand in my truth. Um, and like was fully prepared to cut me off, to no longer talk to me, to no longer have a relationship with me. And I have since had to like remove mentions of that person as a past client because I don't want any of my clients to go to her page and think that I support some of the things she's now saying, which I find to be incredibly transphobic and problematic. And it is so insidious, so easy. Um, I'm very immersed in, there, like there's so many podcasts out there, even like Conspirituality, Decoding Gurus. There's a lot of people out there right now saying, hey, like here's what's happening in the spiritual community online. And here's what you can watch for. And here are some things to be careful of. And if you notice people using this language, this is what it means that you can find and that you can access. But as a quick primer, if people are listening and they're like, uh-oh, am I following these people? What are some of the dog whistles? Are you able to speak to some of the the trends, some of the language that you see that you can immediately tell is uh, an on-ramp to turf town? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I think that some of them are so insidious because, um, you know, people can be making a point that is maybe just a little uninformed, but then it very quickly moves into 
like transphobia. So what I mean by that is, for example, uh, someone could be saying, um, like, parents should be allowed to um, make informed medical choices with their children, right? Which on its face sounds totally reasonable, right? But then if you scratch at it, it becomes uh, trans kids shouldn't be allowed to receive medical care, right? And the um, path from one to the other is actually very fast because what people are saying, they're putting it in the most palatable possible way. But what they're actually talking about is people who will force their 17-year-old or their 16-year-old not to access um, hormone blockers, which are harmless, right? Um, because they don't want uh, their kid to be trans, right? And because they can't deal with the fact that their kid is trans. And so sometimes you hear these things that are very reasonable, but I think it's important to pause and to see what is the rest of the rhetoric that's happening. A similar thing could happen with divine feminine, right? Like someone could be like, I, uh, you know, I'm really honoring and celebrating the divine feminine and feminine energy. I wouldn't personally put that out there in that way. You know, I'm a trans person. I have my own views on it. I don't think it's awful or like, you know, terrible if somebody says that. Like, if that's something that resonates to them, great. But if you start to look at more of their work and they're talking a lot about like the divine feminine and how uh, and how that's connected to, for example, having a womb, right? Um, that's already starting to be in a little bit of shaky territory because A, there are plenty of cisgender women who don't have wombs. Uh, B, there are plenty of cisgender women with wombs that don't identify with their wombs. C, there are lots of trans people with wombs who don't identify as women. And D, there are lots of trans women who don't have wombs who do identify as women. And 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 I could go on. There's also like intersex conditions and there's just a lot of complication around that topic. And so if someone's sort of boiling it down into like this one connection, which is a gender essentialist connection, right? To say to be a woman, to be in touch with the feminine is to have a womb or to be in touch with a womb, right? Like that's the sort of essentialist uh, statement. And then that sort of spirals out into all of this other essentialist or transphobic rhetoric um, that can then like bring someone into a place that's actually quite violent, even if their original intention was just to be in touch with their own body. Absolutely. I also just want to throw in, and I hate to say that this is a word that I've started to see as like a, a an eyebrow raise, uh, is sovereign. Sometimes mm. when I see people talk a lot about sovereignty, even though this is not the original intention of the word, it's not what the word means. It is one of the words that's been picked up where if you follow the trail of it for a little while, what they may be kind of leading into is some of that problematic healthcare stuff and you know the idea of personal decision making and some of these things again this is all very complex right because i am not in any way denying that the united states healthcare system is problematic and doesn't care about people and isn't in it for our health and that big pharma is dangerous like all of those things are true there are a lot of reasons for a lot of people to be very fearful of interacting with doctors and hospitals all of those things are true 
And sometimes when I see people using the word sovereignty, it is a hop, skip, and a jump away from having a lot of kind of dangerous and problematic ideology. So that's one that I'm kind of on the lookout for in spiritual spaces these days. Yeah, that's so real. I used that word a lot in one of my recent classes when I first wrote it two years ago. And when I actually did the class this year, I took the word out. And it was just aching me. And like now that you say that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's why it was aching me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sovereignty is becoming a weird code. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. Back to that idea of like the language evolving. Not only is the language evolving, but uh, in counterterrorism, they call it bad actors, right? People who are do have malicious intent and are purposefully infiltrating spiritual spaces in order to on-ramp people into far-right radicalism, which like that is a full-time occupation for people. Like that's a real thing that's happening. That's not a conspiracy theory. That is, a, that's a real thing. Um, they are looking at the language that, that people are using and adopting it and coding it and working very hard to be like, okay, well, what are the spiritual girlies using in their language? And how can we take that? And then we can like slightly pull on it, right? Like a lot of what's going on in divine masculine, divine feminine, romantic polarity spaces is coded conservative doctrine that is intentionally designed to, um, undermine some of the original principles of that work and they are very savvy and they are paying attention and they are like the language uh, <laughs> the language has to evolve because of how quickly people will pick up the language and uh pervert it <laughs> yeah a hundred percent i mean i've seen that as well with even people who are saying things that on their face sounded positive about like oh, like, it's good to transition, but then their reason was because this person that you love is divine feminine, and so you have to be divine masculine. And it's like, what? No, like, that's horrific, you know? And I, so, yeah, it is very important to be highly aware, and I think that all of us benefit from really honing our tools of discernment um, around any all of these topics that uh you should transition because your de desired partner is divine feminine so you should be divine masculine uh if you've never listened to the podcast twin flame about the twin flame cult uh please go check that out because that's a real thing that happened it's yep. out here <laughs> i was listening to that podcast and my jaw was on the floor I oh my god was screaming yeah it's it's it is the wild west out here on the internet <laughs> in major ways like it is unregulated territory and vast and terrifying and full of treacherous pitfalls um and all of them are people uh yeah. and listen <laughs> if you're a cis person and or you've always considered yourself to be a cis person and this stuff is confusing to you and you don't know how to like square your own gender identity with some of these like pitfalls you can come and talk to me. Like I can, ha I've had those conversations with folks who were like, I need a gender doula. I know that I'm a cis person, but I don't know how to be a cis woman in the society. Right. I've had those conversations. It's okay. If you're feeling confused, you know, like you can talk through that with supportive folks. Thank you for that offer. And that segues, segues us beautifully into what do you have coming up? What are you plugging? What are you working on? And definitely tell the kids about the tarot course that you're working on, because I think that they're going to be very excited about it. 
Yes, I have so many exciting things coming up. Um, I have a tarot course coming up, which is a collaboration with Sea Grape Apothecary, who is uh, is an amazing business. Um, if you want to check them out, um, the course is all about uh, deconstructing the masculine and feminine, quote unquote, masculine and feminine ideas in the tarot. Right. So we're looking at these cards: the uh, magician, the high priestess, the emperor, and the empress. Um, and taking apart this idea of divine masculine or divine feminine, and instead looking at what are these energies actually holding? Like, what are we actually saying when we're describing these cards, and what can they actually teach us, right? And what are new metaphors that we can use to try to get deeper without using culturally loaded words? Um, so that's going to be a really beautiful workshop. I've got my class Snake Medicine coming up. Um, both of these are coming up in September. Uh, Signups for the Secret Apothecary class are already up, um, and signups for Snake Medicine will be coming up in August. Um, snake Medicine is a 12-week class where I use the Snake Shed Cycle as a blueprint for personal transformation and evolution. Um, so we go through each phase of the Shed Cycle in very deep detail. Um, we talk about different tools that you can use to get through that part of your personal evolution. Um, we work together. We process a lot of grief. It's heavy. It's gorgeous. Um, it'll be my second time teaching that class, and I'm really excited about it. Um, and I have other workshops and things that I don't have confirmed dates for yet, but if you want to get on my mailing list, that is the best way to keep up with all of the various things that I will be offering. Thank you so much. And we'll put links for all of that in the show notes for everybody. Eli, it was so amazing to talk with you. And then where can people find you just on the internet? Where do you hang out? What's your social media platform? Yeah, so my uh, I have a website, which is thegenderdoula.com. And then on Instagram, I am thegenderdoula. I have made a threads account. I have not made a single thread. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, but I can pretty reliably be found on my website or on Instagram. Amazing. We'll put those links in the show notes too. Everybody go follow Eli. Thank you so, so much for being here. And thanks everybody for listening. Thank you. It was wonderful. That's our episode for today. Thank you as always for being here and for listening to the podcast. I know there are so many things that you could be doing with your time, so many things you could be listening to. It is an honor that you choose to be here. Connect with me on Instagram at intuitiveedgecoaching. Have a great day.